So this morning, as we, as we get into the Word of God, I, I pray that our hearts will be convicted of our relationship with Him and how we live our lives out before other people. And <clears throat> Pastor Tim has been spending this last month or so in challenging us to contend for the faith. And, and, and that's showing us you know, what false teaching is, is like and how ways to avoid it and f- falling into the snares of false doctrine. And today I'd like to continue a little bit on that theme in a way. Uh, I want to look at, at how we can discern false teaching not only in those that we listen to or, or, or see, but in our own lives. I want to start pointing it at ourselves. So as we, as we look at these things, I've, I want to ask some questions, and hopefully they'll be thought-provoking for you and a, and a challenge to you. story goes that there was a pastor who was filling in for a Sunday school teacher of young boys. And so as he was teaching the class, he asked the boys, he says, what do you think Jesus was like? And he thought, nah, they're probably going to say, oh, he's a good man. He was a good teacher. He did a lot of miracles and things like that. But when he asked that question, he was really thrown because he said, one of the boys raised his hand. I said, I think Jesus is like my Sunday school teacher. And, and what, you know, the question I have is, how many of you have ever been mistaken for Jesus in your demeanor and the deeds that you do? And so that, that was really challenging to me as I heard that story. And, and so as we look at that, that area of, of our lives today, I, I hope that it, it does challenge you in yours. As we are told, we're going to be spending time in, in Matthew chapter 7, but I got a couple verses I want to read first. I got two points to make first, and then we're going to get into our third point, which is going to take an hour and a half. I mean, the rest of the time. <clears throat> In, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another, it's up on the screen here, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So the first point that I want to make is that we can judge our love for the Lord based on how we love other people. Okay, That's a good measuring stick. The second measuring stick that we find in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, just write those verses down. I don't have them up on the board. Take them, read those later. Mark those down. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and read these later. And if you can read them and say, yes, I'm living that way, then you're on the right track. <clears throat> if you can't, then there's some reevaluation and <clears throat> thinking that needs to take place. So my second point is, that we can judge our love for the Lord by the way we obey his commands and walk like Jesus did. So read that section when you get some time. That's all I'm going to say um, on those two points right now. Those are another sermon in themselves. So we're going on to the third point. This is going to be a short message, you know. But I've only got six more pages to go. So, But since we're talking about false teaching and false prophets and all those things, I wanted to, I wanted to stay on that theme a little bit. And, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 15 to 23. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. It'll be up on the board, but I want to read it out loud. Uh, follow along. I'm reading from the NIV translation, which is up on, on the screen here. Watch out for false prophets. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, don't, did, not we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So as we look at this, we're going to dissect this a little bit through the rest of the time here. And he starts out by saying, watch out, or some translations say, beware of false teachers. So what does that mean to beware? I want to ask myself, how do we beware and how do we watch out? So I I looked up that word and it means uh, to pay attention to or to be cautious about. In other words, when... Whenever you're hearing someone teach, you're hearing someone preach, you're seeing someone living their lives and they claim the name of Jesus, but something is, is not, just doesn't hit you right. And watch out, pay attention. He says, don't sleep through that. He says, be aware, be alert, pay attention to what's going on around you so that you don't fall into the snares of these false teachers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But he goes on, he's saying that these false prophets... And the, the word originally, the prophet in the Old Testament was one who tells forth, who talks about the future, things that are going to happen throughout the Old Testament. You heard all the prophets. But here, uh, as time went on, they were commonly regarded as public instructors on the subject of religion. And the word came to denote all who were religious teachers. Okay, so in, in this sense, that's the way it was used here. So a false prophet, this is what I want you to write down. I think it's up on the board. Yes. Um, A false prophet is a teacher of incorrect doctrine or one falsely and unjustly laying claims to divine inspiration. Okay, so that's important to remember that because anyone can fall into that trap. We're going to get into some of those in a little bit. Now, Now, Pastor Tim has done a great job in differentiating between those who are teaching false doctrine and those who are teaching bad doctrine. And he's used illustrations in that and showing us different people. Well, when I, when I got saved, the, the year I got saved in 1974, so next May I'll have been saved 40 years, um, I was only 18 years old, and I just came to know the Lord. I was excited because I was raised in a church, but I had re- rejected a lot of things and basically living my own life. And when I got saved, there was a transformation that went on. I went to western Pennsylvania from Michigan. We drove out, my girlfriend and I and a couple other guys, we drove out for a weekend like creation festival that we have down down south here a little bit. It was called Jesus 74. And it had some of the uh, big names, big band names like Petra, uh, Larry Norman, uh, Andre Crouch, things like that. They were all there. And uh, there were some big speak, you know, some renowned speakers like Pat Boone. 
flew in in his white helicopter with his white shoes on and his white suit and spoke to us. And, uh, and we, we had a great weekend of, of uh, getting to know the Lord and growing in my faith. And at the end of this, at the end of this weekend, the last speaker on, on, on Saturday night, he, he was preaching away and I was getting excited. He was talking about being filled with the Spirit and all these things. At the end, he gave an invitation. He said, behind you are two tents. The tent directly behind you uh, is for those people who are struggling with health issues, with emotional issues, with, with uh, uh, addictions and stuff they want to be healed from. I want you to head back to that tent over there. And, and then the tent over on this side over here is for those who would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to uh, receive that filling, then we want you to go over here. And, uh, and so I was excited. I said, wow, if anything, I want the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want everything that God has for me. And so my girlfriend was having some issues with her hands. So she went back to the tent for the healing. And I went over to that tent over there to get filled with the Spirit. And as, I was walk, as we were walking there, there were people at the tent uh, greeting us. And they were handing us these tracks. And on the track, it had a list of all the spiritual gifts. And as I was reading through that list, it was like the word discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment just kept flashing out at me. It's like bolded uh, in, my, in my mind. It wasn't on the paper, but it was in my mind. And so I said, well, this is weird. Uh, so I went in there, and the guy facilitating on his, on his microphone, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to put your hand on the person in front of you. I want you to, to do that. And what's going to happen? We're going to start praying. Everybody just start praying. Asking God for the filling of the Spirit. And, and some of you will, will be slain in the Spirit. You're going to fall down. Don't worry about that. That's good. Others of you will begin to speak in a language you don't recognize. And it will just come on you. Just let it go. And I said, wow, this is cool. I'm, I'm ready for this. And so I was praying earnestly. God, I want this filling. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't speak in tongues. But I left that tent knowing that I was filled with the Holy Spirit because the verse that came back to my mind is in Romans 8, 9 that says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And I said, I have the Spirit because on the day that I got saved, I knew there was something different in my life. I went to school that next Monday and I was in the musical. I didn't tell anybody at school that I got saved, but they knew something. Tim, what's wrong with you? There's something different about you. And it was the first time that I was in the school musical at the time. And it was the first time the director ever called me by my stage name. And I thought, wow, there's something different. There's something Because I knew that I had the Holy Spirit living in me. And as I studied the word later, I realized that Satan can even counterfeit even these, these sign gifts and things. That, that he has the ability to do that. And so I had just discernment just kept coming back to me. Just discerning God's spirit. Now, I have nothing against any of those things, but that wasn't for me. I was okay with that. I didn't speak in time. I was fine because I knew where I stood with the Lord, and nothing has ever changed. I have, I have the Lord in my life, and, and, and I, the Holy Spirit is legitimately in my life, and I can bear fruit because of it. So we get back into Matthew 7, verse 15. It says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. 
you know, get an image of a sheep in your head. <clears throat> They're very docile, non-threatening animal that you love to watch. They're dumb animals. But, but he says, this is how false prophets, false teachers worm their way in. Because they look good on the outside, but inside they're ferocious wolves. And, and this is what uh, is so important for us to be able to not just be sucked in by good teaching. I had a friend of mine who was watching uh, a teacher on, on TV this, when he first moved back to the U.S. And he was listening to one of the preachers on TV. And he said, oh man, he's so good. He's just encouraging me and telling me how that I can make it and all this stuff. But after about four or five months that he says, he says the same thing every week. There's nothing different. Every day, it's the same thing. And then he realized that, that the guy didn't have any new material. He wasn't studying the word on his own. He said the same thing every day. So then he started digging in for himself and learning about God. One thing that was interesting, uh, this week in our staff meeting, Pastor Tim was sharing with us that there's a church that he knows of that when you come on staff, you have to sign a uh, statement that says that you will not ever say anything negative about the lead pastor. If you do, then you have uh, a lawsuit on your hand. And I thought, wow. I mean, this is a, a legal and binding document that they have to sign. And and so to me, that just reeks of, of false doctrine because this guy is so afraid that... that People aren't going to agree with him that he has to come up with this legal document and, and with threats of, of lawsuits. Look at Jim Jones. Jim Jones, back in the, I think it was 70s, he, he, he's a young preacher. He was a street evangelist sharing the gospel. He got married, started a church in downtown Indianapolis, preaching the gospel. It was one of the fastest growing multiracial churches uh, in that day. Well, we know what happened. He started teaching falsely. He, and, and the thing is, is that sometimes they don't even know it themselves. They get so deluded in their own selves, in their own thoughts and, and actions, they stop studying the Word of God for what it is, and they start coming up with their own doctrines and what they think. And what happened? Over 900 people committed suicide in Guyana, South America, because of, because of him leading them as father. He was their father. And anything he said went. So someone asked me one time, and I think this is, this is so provoking, thought-provoking. What comes first, Bibleless pews or Bibleless pulpits? And the answer is Bibleless pews come first. Because of the fact if you're not studying the Word of God, then I can tell you anything I want. And you won't know the difference because you're not reading the Word of God on your own. And so as if you stop studying the Word of God, then that opens the door into your heart and mind for anything you want. So when Ronnie is switching churches every, every few months because it doesn't feed him what he's wanting to hear, doesn't tickle his ears, then we could fall into that same trap. That we don't like what we're hearing because, because it's convicting us and we have to change our life. So Bibleist pews always come first. Now, how do we tell if someone is a false teacher? It's by their fruit. Now, I've been in, uh, in homes where they have these 
fruit baskets on either a coffee table or a counter, and they're, they're very delicious looking. And uh, my mouth starts watering, and I thought, man, I'm going to have a banana. And so I grab one, and I realize it's plastic. And it has bruise marks on the side of the banana. The apples have little holes in them. And, and all everything, they look so real. They look so good. They make them so good now. Before, in the old days, you could tell. They had like sugary things on top of them. But these look real. And, and I want to take a bite of it, but I better not because I'll get a mouthful of plastic or styrofoam or something. I don't know what they make them out of, but they're fake. And that's the way false prophets are, false teachers are. They look good on the outside. They say the right things. They get you in. And, and, and this is true with a, with a lot of false religions. I was thinking of, of, of Mormonism, how that they, they are so family-oriented. And they, they come to your door, and they'll have the Bible with them. And they'll talk about Jesus. They'll get in the door. But then if you start asking them certain questions then they put the Book of Mormon over the top of the Bible and follow that. Like what Pastor Tim was talking about last week, how we become Lord over the Bible and make it say what we want it to say instead of letting the Bible make us live our life the way that we should. So that's how, that's how false things, we've, we've stopped studying the Word of God on our own. We're like that fruit where we look good on the outside, but that we, we're hollow inside and we don't know the truth. So this is how we can tell of the, the false teachers. They really look good on the outside, but they're fake. And they, they start out with good intentions like Jim Jones did, but they end up so perverted in their teaching that they end up pulling others away from the truth of the gospel because they're young in their faith and they're looking for hope. They're looking for security. And that's, I mean, I did some research on Jim Jones this week, and that's how he did it. He had the promise of hope and, and, and peace and happiness and all these things. And they come in and they're sucked in to those cults. Abraham Lincoln uh, wisely spoke one time. He said, you may fool all the people some of the time. And you can fool some of the people all the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. And that, that is so true. We need to be students of the word that we will not get fooled. What is that thing that says, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And, and that's what we have to do with the Word of God. We have to know what it says so that, that we can um, know whether we're hearing uh, a lie or not. So he goes on in verse 22. It says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And you see that even in some of these evangelists at these big churches they they're doing all kinds of things they're going around healing people and they're doing all this stuff but send in the money and and i'll send you a handkerchief that will heal you or all these things i I was years ago i mean this is nothing new because when helen and i first got married we're we were watching this evangelist one time and he said god is out there waiting to give you a motor home waiting to give you a mercedes-benz He's just wanting to give these things to you. All you've got to do is send me some money and the blessings will be fold hundredfold back to you. And, and all, I said, wow, that is so wrong. It just doesn't happen that way. Jesus didn't even live that way. All right. 
So he goes on that, that verse there. He says, then, then I will plainly, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. So where do these false teachers go? They go to hell. Contrary to what Rob Bell says, they're going to go to hell. Hell is a, 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 a place. I, I looked through the Bible, and there's many places it's called hell, Hades, a place of eternal punishment, torment, or the lake of fire, all these different things. It's, they're literal places. These are not figments of, of imagination or, or types. It, they're real, literal place. Okay, so that's talking about how we look at other people. I want to bring this now down and point the fingers back at ourselves and, and, and look at our lives, what we would consider a false teaching that we're giving out to other people. All right, so let's, let's look at this. So the first thing that comes to my mind in, in, in our own lives is, am I a hypocrite? Do I live one way when I'm at church or with my Christian friends and another way when I'm out in the world at work and, and living a life like that. I, that's the way I lived my life growing up. When I was at church, I was singing all the songs, quoting all the scriptures and, and all that stuff. But when I was out with my one friend that I had, I only had one friend, um, I was, we were doing things, talking about stuff that was not honoring to the Lord. And so I, I could play both fields. I was pretty good at that. And I was like a chameleon, changing my colors wherever I went. And we're all like that. We all have a tendency to do that. When we're with our unsafe friends, we, we don't want to mess things up, our relationship, like we're not going to be our friends anymore, so we start acting like them. And this is a thing that the world has a tendency to draw us down instead of us draw them up when we live that way. All right? The world will tear us down until we make a stand. And, and so how are we going to do that? So my question was, if I were to ask your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, if you uh, reflect the image of Christ in your life, do they know you're a Christian? What would they say? Now, that's, a, that's the first question I have is, what, what, are you teaching false doctrine by the way you live your life? Because if I, if I say that, well, he's a Christian. What? He's a Christian. He do, what? He does this? I've seen him do that. I've seen what he's looked at on the Internet. And he calls himself a Christian? You know, those are, those are things that people are watching. And if you name the name of Christ, they're watching. So what kind of doctrine are you teaching by your life? It says that you will know them by their fruit. So let's spend a couple minutes looking at fruit. When he talks about that, the, the bush, there, there's a, a tree that's called the alder black buckthorn, which is prevalent in the Middle East and different parts of the world. And where he says that by their fruit you will recognize them, he says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? This is what he's talking about, this bush here. When you look at those things, they look delicious. I want to make a pie out of that. But if you eat that, you'll die. Unless you drink some charcoal stuff and make you lose it all again. It's, it's that poisonous. And so that's what he's saying here is that these false teachers, our lives can be like those berries. They look good, but I wouldn't want to make a pie out of that and give it to my friend. 
Because it would kill him. Unless I hated him. No, I wouldn't do that either. That'd be murder. But um, a lot of times, things we, we can look good on the outside. But yet, our testimony is very poisonous because of the way we're living. Our fruit is bad fruit. And so we want to be careful of that. In, um, in James, so when, uh, I wanted to say this before I read this scripture. It says that we need to be careful about what we teach. Because as believers, we are held at a higher standard than anyone else. In James 3.1, it says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that's what we need to remember. You're going to be judged by the way you live your life before others, because you're teaching as you live your life. There's two types of people in this world, those that know the Lord and those that don't. There's only two classes, and if you name the name of Christ, you're here this morning, you're a believer, you're in that first one. And he says that somebody else said that you're either a missionary or a mission field. You either have the Lord and, and you're doing what he wants you to do or you're the mission field that needs the Lord. And that's, that's what we need to remember. So we're going to look over, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to spend a few minutes there and, and wrap it up with these, these verses here. Galatians 5. Verses 19 to 23. And we're going to learn about the difference between the fruits of, of the flesh and the fruits of the, fruit of the Spirit. All right? Verse 19, it starts out, it says, The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealous fits of rage, or jealousy and fits of rage, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's one of those big buts I like to talk about. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. Amen. And this is a thing, the, the thing that really stood out to me when I, when I first studied this out, it says the acts of sinful nature, plural. There's lots of them. But he goes on in verse 22, it says, but the fruit, singular. He doesn't say all the fruit of the Spirit, all the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit, so it's singular. All right, so let's look at, um, I'm going to read these up on the, on the board here, our Matthew uh, 527 to 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his, in his heart. Okay? So that's pretty convicting. And you're probably saying, I don't think like that, so I'm pretty good. But that can be applied to all this whole list of things that he mentions here in, in verses 19 to 21 about selfish ambitions and fits of rage or jealousy or discord, hatred, all these things. Because he says, when we think in our mind, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we think in our heart 
is basically how we're going to act. Because that's, that's, that's where we're going to go. So he says, it's not just adultery that we're committing, but we could do any of these sins, these impurity and, and all these things that we can do in our heart. And, and God hates it just the same. And, and so what's going to happen to these people? They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying that if you're a Christian and you slip up, that you're going to go to hell. No, he's not saying that. He's saying those that live habitually, that live like this, he says. That this is their, their way of life, is living like this. So when, I'm, when, I am, uh, when I meet people and they're struggling with something in their life, and they can't get victory over it. They, they, they're not struggling. They're, I mean, they're just falling all the time. Be it alcoholism or, or be it uh, something perverted on the internet or lying or, or whatever it is. Then I begin to question in my mind, are they truly saved? Because greater is he that is in me than where? Than he's in the world. So that means I can have victory over these things. I can and, and so I begin to question. I'm not a judge. I can't, I can't determine whether somebody is saved or not. But there's certain things that you can see that are happening in their life that point to the fact that, that they're, they're not saved. Okay? Let me give you an, an example. I have a friend who, um, when I first met him, he did not know the Lord. And he told me that. But he came to know the Lord. And he's been growing in his faith. Does he struggle? Yes. He struggles with anger. He struggles with jealousy. He struggles in, with uh, pornography and things like this. But yet, God is convicting him of these things on a daily basis. And so there's evidence of God working. The times between the falls are less. I mean, are, are longer. Sorry, are longer. There's less falls at, and there are longer periods between. Because God is growing him, and I could see the fruit of God's work in his life. Well, I know this other person who claims to know the Lord from the very beginning. But yet there's anger that's never dealt with. Whenever they're confronted with an issue, they, they put a wall up, and they won't have anything to do with you anymore. They'll talk, they, they won't. They won't have anything to do with me anymore because I confronted them on an issue in their life. That's a sign to me that that person has never been regenerated because part of the fruit of the Spirit, is, we're going to look at these individually, they would have a joy. They would have a peace, but they don't have any of that. They know some verses and they use them to hammer somebody else, but they don't know the Lord. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, be living like that. There would be some growth in their life. There is no growth. There's no desire to be discipled in this person's life. So to me, I, 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 I see that this person does not know the Lord, even though they claim to. Many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't I do this? Depart from me. I never knew you. So there's got to be some evidences that our life reflects to other people that show that we have the Spirit in us. All right? So I want to um, look at the, the fruit of the Spirit in, in closing here. And I'm gonna, we're going to run through this pretty quick. I still have 10 minutes, so I'm, I'm good. When I, when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, we were 
when I was in Bible school, somebody brought out this idea of a diamond. See the diamond here. This diamond, you see the whole thing, but you don't see the whole thing. You can't see what's on the other side of that diamond. So I like to look at, at the fruit of the Spirit as a nine-sided diamond. And it has nine facets on it. You don't see them all at the same time, but they're all there. And this is how we need to live our lives. When people see us, they should see some of these things evidenced in our life. If you don't see any of them being, being, being seen in their life, then, then, then you have reason to doubt of their salvation. You're not the judge. You're not the jury. But yet, it's a challenge to you to say, hey, you know, do you really know the Lord? To subtly, I mean, to kindly and with tact come up to them and, and talk about their salvation. Because I'm seeing this in your life, and, and to me, that does not reflect the character and qualities that God wants in our life. All right, so let's look at these. The, the most important thing that we need to remember is this is not the fruit of Tim Van Summeren. This is not the fruit of Terry Mack. This is not the fruit of Beverly. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we can't do this on our own. And there's, there's no way we can. And so this is what we need to remember as we go through these things. We can fake our way through it at times, pretend, but it's not going to last. There's no way that we can sustain the Christian life in our own strength. It has to be the fruit, the power, and might of the Holy Spirit living his life in us. Amen. So let's look at these quickly. And it says that, that, we, that the, the first fruit of this fruit is love. One, the first side of that diamond is love. Now we're told that we need to love other people. There's people that I don't like. I don't like to hang out with them because our personalities, you know, they might be a computer nerd and I'm a jock. Or they might like horses and I like to shoot deer. And uh, so we might not hang out with each other because we have nothing in common. But yet I, I am called to love them. There are some people that are really hard to love because our personalities clash. And, but yet, we can love them. How? Through the power of the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Because it, it won't, our, our, our selfish natures won't allow it. But with the power of the Spirit, we can love other people. We don't have to hang out with them. But we still have to love them in the name of the Lord. Okay? That's the first one. It's only done by the power of the Spirit. Joy is the second thing. That, and, and this is even through adversity that we have a filling or a joy that can only come when, when we're walking with the Lord. We're not happy. We might not be happy. Somebody might have just died. We're not happy about that, but we still have a peace and a, and a, and a joy that can only come through the Lord. When I, when I did the uh, funeral service for one of the Lafayette students' mom who died uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, she wore to the, I don't know if I shared this with you or not, but she wore to the funeral, a yellow dress. She's from Africa. And a yellow dress is a sign of rejoicing. And her mom knew the Lord. And she did, was not able to get back for the funeral. But yet she knew where her mom was. And so she was rejoicing in the fact that her mom wasn't suffering anymore, that soon she'll be able to spend time with her again. So she had this joy that could only come 
through knowing the Lord. If her mom didn't know the Lord, she wouldn't have worn yellow because there's no joy. There's no hope there. But she has that hope. She has that confidence that God has done that. So we have also peace. There's, this is a result of our reconciliation to God, that we can have peace, that we can experience peace in our lives. No matter what's going on around us, we can have that settled peace, knowing that God is in control and that, that he has our best interest in mind. And that goes right along with the next one of patience. You know, one with, that displays this fruit is patient through affliction and trial and even when injured by others. He's not just talking about being patient with our kids and showing, you know, when our kids are cutting them. Oh, you're so nice. No, he's not talking about that. It's overall, it's every area of our life, even through a situation that has no answer to it. That we don't see light at the end of the tunnel. For seven years, Craig Davidson was working through this trial. There's all this stuff going on with Atlantic States and all that stuff. Did not see any light at the end of the tunnel. But he persevered, was patient. One more month he has in, in lockup and he'll be done. Get this behind him. And so he can look back and say, God, you helped me to stay faithful through that time, to stay patient. That's the fruit of the Spirit. He was able to stand through that. There were times that he was totally depressed, did not want to be at church, did not want to do things. But God kept working. And that, that fruit became evident again in his life of patience. Kindness. Some people, sometimes this word is, is translated gentleness. It's the opposite of being harsh, crabby, or hot-tempered is what this, it's the opposite of that. And this is a disposition of being unruffled by what's going on around us and the able and able to treat others kindly. So you're on 78 driving every day. That's, that's, to show kindness on 78 is not easy. My wife will attest to that when I'm driving. Um, somebody, I don't say things, I, I, but I'm right on their tail when they do something stupid. But, uh, <laughs> but I shouldn't do that. You know, I, I should just back off and, and let it go so I can experience that peace again in my life. And uh, so to be kind to people is in... in, in in the midst of, of chaos and turmoil and trials and tribulations, you still have the ability to show kindness to people, to be, to be kind. Which goes right along with the next one, of goodness. And this is the ability to be benevolent or good to others. The ability to be benevolent. Not just with money, but with our time and our energies. To be able to go that extra mile for somebody that is, is struggling. You're in a hurry to go someplace, but yet you see somebody struggling, you stop. And, and you take that few minutes to say, hey, you know, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And, and that's showing goodness. That's, that's that, that fruit that's being good, showing good to other people. Faithfulness. The word could be translated faith, but in this context that Paul's referring to, as I was studying this out, it means that someone who can be trusted, somebody who's faithful. He's a faithful husband. She's a faithful worker. In, in this age when, when faithfulness is, is uncommon, when, when you look at Survivor, you look at Hollywood, you look at, at, at work, people are stepping all over each other to get ahead. 
they're, they're not faithful to others around them. They're only looking out for themselves. That's what our society is teaching. You've got to look out for yourself. You see, even see this even all the time. You've got to look out for number one. I don't see that in the Bible. We're, we are our brother's keeper. We need to be faithful to them. That means that talking to them when something needs to be talked about, don't just shove it under the rug. That means when you're told to be someplace at 8 o'clock, you're there. When you're, when you're asked to do something, you fulfill the task. All these things, faithfulness. This is what he's asking. And we can't do this on our own. Our, our flesh won't allow it. Because there's, there's things that come up that I don't want to do. But I, I need to do it because that's what God has asked me to do. And so I can be faithful to that. All right? Gentleness. This can also be translated humility or meekness. It's, it's the, um, a person who's controlled by the Spirit will evidence humility in his or her life. And, and so in the King James, it translates it meekness, which I think is very appropriate. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean that we let people stomp all over us. But it means that with gentleness and humility, that we can be strong. And, and you see this in, in the lives of, of some of the, the prophets like Nehemiah. We just got done studying Nehemiah. And all these things were coming up against him. All these people were coming against him. But through gentleness, he was able to stand firm. He, was, he just went to the Lord first. And he continued doing the work that God asked him to do. Through that gentleness. The last one is uh, self-control. And in this self-control, Tim hit this a couple weeks ago, it's having um, a domination of our propensity to sin. Self-control. When I see people who don't have self-control, that either fly off of the handle at this, or they, they are struggling with this avenue, or anger, or there's all kinds of things. The list goes on and on. That they, don't, they can't control this. They, oh, I just, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Because that's what God does. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It teaches us how to control ourselves. And that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So when I don't see self-control evidenced in somebody's life, I begin to question, do you really know the Lord? Because there should be some self-control there. And we teach our kids that when they're growing up. We teach our kids self-control. They, you know, they throw a temper tantrum on the floor and, and because they want a piece of candy. And it's supper time. You've got to wait till after supper. We teach them self-control, delayed gratification. Um, this is what he's saying. He said, we've got we to work on that. So in conclusion, I just want to sum this up in, in just a, uh, in, with a couple words of encouragement and challenging to us. We, we looked at the beginning how we can discern what a false teacher looks like out around us. Then we moved it inward. How do we tell if we're teaching false doctrine by the way we live our lives? And so we talked about the fruit. That fruit is, is something that, that should be evidence that is good fruit. That each of us should have good fruit in our lives. So we ask these tough questions. And as we're living, are we living as men and women of true faith? Are we like Ronnie at the beginning, just wanting what, what makes me happy, what feeds me Whatever he does there with it, the drool. But um, the question I have is, is how are you living your life? Does it, does it reflect these fruit as people see you in your daily life? Are you living the life 
that, that Christ has designed for you. We teach, we are teachers of the word, whether you want it or not, by our lives. You might not say anything, but by our actions, we share the gospel. And he wants us to share the word with people, but yet we need to, we need to be living that and, and having that fruit of the spirit dwelling in us that people can see it. Let's pray. Lord, to thank you for just yourself. Lord, as you've convicted my life in, in different aspects of, of just being honest with myself and, and um, facing the, the shortcomings in my own life through this study, I pray that we do the same with other people. So, Lord, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that it's new every morning and that we can walk in newness of life as we humble ourselves before you and turn ourselves, our lives, and our, our faith heavenward. So we thank you. Just give us a good day as we celebrate the baptism of these five believers today and, and just have a good time together. In Jesus' name, amen.